because the Bible I have is a little bit different translation, so we want to read together. Um, Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. You may be seated. So today, we're beginning a five-part sermon series that you have chosen. For the last several weeks, I've asked you to submit to me questions about God, the faith, the Bible. Um, And there are five. You're listed in your bulletin if you want to know what they are. We'll skip May the 24th because Sid Koslowski will be here on the day. But the first question is this. If the disciples were there when Lazarus was resurrected, why were they surprised when Jesus was resurrected. If the disciples were there when Lazarus was resurrected, why were they so surprised when Jesus was resurrected? And to that, I would add, their reaction is even more incredible considering that in recent weeks, Jesus had told them not once, but three times that he would die and be raised again. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And notice that this is not just a comment made in passing by Jesus. He taught them that. And he didn't just speak of his resurrection. He spoke of the timing of his resurrection. Three days. Mark 9, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. In Mark 10, verse 32, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And these last words of Jesus were spoken just two weeks 
before his death and resurrection. And not only did they have Jesus kind of heads up, but he had already, uh, before Lazarus, he had already raised two other people from the dead. In Luke 7, the widow's son, and Luke 8, Jairus' daughter. So, yes, the fact that they were surprised at Jesus' resurrection is very, well, surprising. So why were they so surprised? Good question. For us, it's sometimes easier not to believe than to believe, right? For example, in the Old Testament, consider the Israelites. After leaving Egypt and witnessing God's parting of the Red Sea so they could get across it, they came to some water, but it was no good to drink. So they grumbled against Moses. Moses asked God what to do. God showed him a log. Moses threw it in the water, threw it in the water, and the water became drinkable. So a miracle, right? It showed them that God could and would take care of what they needed in the wilderness. So what did they do pretty soon after that? When they began to run low on food, did they say, God, we're hungry, and then believe that God could and would meet their needs? No, they grumbled against Moses and thought they would die of hunger. But God provided for them manna, which they ate like bread, and enough meat that they were sick of it, they ate so much. God could and would provide for them. So what they do next time they ran out of water? Did they say, God, would you provide water for us? No, they grumbled against Moses. Moses went to God with this problem and said, what are we going to do? God said, strike the rock with your staff. Moses did, and water came out of the rock for people to drink. But the crumbling st didn't stop there either. God showed them over and over and over again that he would take care of his people in the wilderness. The Israelites had proof, but did they believe it? No. So even though Jesus told the disciples that he would die and then be raised again, they didn't believe it. Then he died, as he said he would, but they still didn't believe that he would rise again. So when he did, they were very surprised, even though, again, he had already raised three people. The disciples were usually, often, slow to understand what Jesus said a lot of the time. Several times Jesus said to them things like, don't you understand? Or are you still so slow? Other times the disciples didn't get what Jesus was saying, but they were afraid to ask him what he meant. But we really can't blame the disciples, can we? We're not so different from them or from the Israelites. They wanted water. Well, okay, fine. But what about bread? Okay, well, but what about more water? God has shown up in my life, in our lives, but what has he done for me lately? I was so confident of his goodness and his presence back then. But today, I'm not so sure. I mean, it's not necessarily conscious or deliberate, 
But maybe that kind of thinking underlies most of our attitude towards God, just lies a bit below the surface. When you are a new believer, or maybe in a certain context, like a camp or something, God was so real. He answered prayer. You saw him at work all around you. There was no doubt in your mind that he was real. But that was a little while ago. Now, he seems somewhat distant. So was what you felt then even real? Or was it a figment of your imagination? Is he more distant? Does he care about you than he seemed to at one time? You've probably heard me give this illustration before, but when our children were born, we took care of their every need. Every time we cried, we were there to change, to burp, to snuggle, to feed. But as they grew up, we knew that we didn't have to run to them whenever they cried. And maybe they felt abandoned for a while. When I cry, mom and dad are always there. Now I cry, and they do not show up. Where's mom? Where's dad? And maybe they felt like we didn't care very much. But we cared. We just knew that they were just fine. They had to learn that they could stand on their own. We were nearby, only they didn't know that. We still took care of their every need. Our oldest uh, is almost 12, and we still take care of his every need. But his needs are different. And your needs, as a Christian, are different than they used to be. Maybe God doesn't show up immediately because he knows you don't need him to. Maybe he's asking you to develop your faith muscles. Maybe he's asking you to trust him. So Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, do you believe it? His word says, God's, God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. So, do you believe it? Whether you feel his presence or not. Do you need God to prove it to you? Or can you look back and say, he's already proved it to me, so now I will trust him. Or say that God in his word has promised, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we certainly believe that for other people. When I got sick a while ago, I know you believed for me that God had something good in mind. You believe that God worked it for good, but then something happens to us, and we can't imagine anything good coming out of it. The job, the funeral, the doubt, the diagnosis, the marriage. God's got to get me out of this situation, this feeling, because there's no way anything good can come out of this. And if God cared even a little bit, he would change things. Have you ever asked, why me, or why now? Do you believe that God will work this thing, whatever it is, for your good? Or as I heard a pastor, friends of mine, say once, do you believe what you believe? 
many of you are on the far side of your trial, and you have seen God do a good work. But others are in the trial right now. And it's hard to see what God will do. He, he may even change your definition of what is good, but he will do good. He says all things, all things work together for good. Will you trust him? Will you believe him? Or finally, do you believe God when he says you're justified by faith in Jesus? To be justified is to have God treat you justified, never sinned. Now, there are two parts to that. There's faith in Jesus, which means to recognize his good authority in your life and place yourself under his lordship so that God treats you just if, it's, just if I'd never sinned is not licensed to keep on sinning. And then there's being justified. You see, we've all sinned, some worse than others, but sin is equally a violation of God's holiness. So while sin has different consequences from our perspective, we treat a serial killer differently than we do a liar, but in God's eyes, they are treated all the same. And the result of such a thing against the perfection of God requires perfect or complete punishment, death. But God loves us profoundly and gut-wrenchingly, so he decided to bear that sin himself. God the Son, Jesus, came from heaven to earth and died on the cross for us. Jesus bore the punishment for our sins. He paid the fine. There's nothing else to pay. He did the jail time. There's no reason for us to go to cosmic jail anymore. Because Jesus bore the punishment for all our sin, God relates to us then, just if I'd never sinned. Say you owe someone $100, and a friend offers to pay and does. You're aware that he has, in fact, given the guy you owe $100. Would you add $10 to that? Your friend says, he's all paid up. All you're doing is giving a guy $110 when all he's owed is $100. He has all of his money. Your $10 doesn't contribute at all to the paying of his debt. But we do that all the time. I've heard it called the religion of Jesus and Jesus and church, Jesus and morality, Jesus and Bible study, Jesus and you fill in the blank. We treat him as if we need to add something to what he has done. Jesus has done his part. Now we add our part, and then we can be forgiven. But God says you are justified through faith in Jesus. Do you, Lou, do you believe him? All things work together for your good. Do you believe that? God will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Why were the disciples surprised at Jesus' resurrection? They were human. Maybe they should not have been surprised that what Jesus said was true. 
but neither, neither should we be surprised that what Jesus said is true. Do you, do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord, we want to believe it. It's all too easy for us not to believe. But Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And we thank you that whether we believe it or not, it doesn't change the reality of it. You are with us. All things do work together for our good. Oh, Lord. I thank you that even right now you are here, you are present. You want us to draw our attention to you. You want to meet us now in the table. Um, you are with us even right now. And again, we believe it. Help our unbelief. Show yourself to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.